Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor at Northwood right here in North Charleston, South Carolina. And I am so thankful that you are taking the time today to listen to this message. And I do hope and pray that what you are about to hear encourages you, blesses you, helps you to understand the word of God better, and most importantly, reminds you of how much the God of all creation loves you. I think today's message is going to be a blessing to you. So thank you for listening. And if you're in the North Charleston area, we would love to have you on our campus any Sunday morning at either 9.30 or 11 o'clock. If you're not in the North Charleston area, you can always find us on the web, northwoodbaptist.com. You can visit our YouTube page. You can visit our Facebook page. You can live stream us every Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11. We would love for you to be our guest, either on campus or online. So you're welcome to join us anytime you'd like. We'd love to have you. I do hope that today's message is a blessing and encouragement to you. And I hope that today's message helps you connect faith to life. Let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn back to the Gospel of Luke. We are in Luke chapter 8 this morning, looking at verses 1 through 21. Luke 8, verses 1 through 21, as we continue our journey through Luke's Gospel, and we're entering a section in Luke's Gospel over the next few weeks. We're going to look at some very familiar stories, but very powerful stories. And so I'm looking forward to uh, walking through these next few weeks together and seeing what Luke has to say to us about our Messiah, Jesus Christ. Luke 8, 1 through 21 is where we are this morning. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, that's okay, because in the seat before you is a copy of God's Word down in the book rack. Pick that Bible up and find Luke 8 with us. Luke 8, verses 1 through 21. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you, read it, and learn about the God that loves you and desires a relationship with you. If you're new to the Bible, Bible. Luke is not difficult to find at all. Just go to your New Testament and find the four Gospels, and Luke is the third Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. And we're in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 21. If you're new to our church, what we like to do here at Northwood is take books of the Bible like the Gospel of Luke and just walk right through them chapter by chapter, verse by verse, because we are convinced that there is power in the Word of God, and we're convinced that the Word of God gives life as we learn about Jesus, our Savior, and, and surrender our lives to Him. And so we're in Luke chapter 8 this morning. And we'll read together in just a few moments the first part of, of the, that passage together. And so go ahead and have, have that ready in your Bible for when we, when we read together in just a moment. So I don't know if you remember this or not, but it's been a couple months ago. Uh, I shared with you a story about a piece of art uh, that had been produced a couple years ago that was sold and received a lot of money when it was sold. Do you remember this picture, the picture of the, uh, the banana duct tape to the wall? I don't know if you remember that story or not, but a couple years ago, somebody had made that a piece of art and it was on an exhibit in an art gallery, and it actually sold for $120,000, which is pretty wild because you know what happens to bananas. They don't last very long. And so when you buy that piece of art, you don't actually buy the duct tape and the banana. The person who bought that piece of art bought a certificate. Isn't that weird? saying that because he owns that certificate that he bought for $120,000, he now has the right to replicate that piece of art in other art museums. That makes sense to you? It makes no sense to me, but that's what he did. And so, so this gentleman owns this piece of art, paid $120,000 for it, and it was on display in a museum in Korea. Did you see this story on display in a museum in Korea? Now, the way it works is the guy who bought the certificate of art gives that over to the museum, and they take that, and they're able to display 
display this, uh, this artwork and, and, and they have to change out the banana every few days and you can understand why, but, but that's, that's okay, right? They don't have to have the original banana uh, that the first person who uh, created this piece of art put up. They just have to have that certificate of authenticity that says they can replicate this piece of art day after day after day. You're following, right? And so this piece of art that was, you know, very expensive piece of artwork has been on display in this museum in Korea. And uh, uh, a field trip came through, some college students, because, you know, all college students want to go to art museums and look at priceless piece of arts. And, and in that uh, group of students that was walking through that museum, one of the young men saw that piece of art and he decided he would grab the banana and eat it. And he did. That priceless, well, I say priceless, that $120,000 piece of artwork, he walked right up to it, took the banana off the wall and ate it, and then taped back the peel to the <laughs> wall, right? Pretty ingenious, right? And so it becomes a big deal. I mean, you can go and read the story. It's been all over the media because it's a big deal. And, and so when he was asked, and this was, I thought this was so ingenious, when he was asked why he did it, he just said he was doing performing art, right? <laughs> Listen, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't think I would do that if I were walking through the art museum and saw a banana taped to the wall. But, but you do have to ask the question. As he was walking through the halls and he saw that exhibit and then had the desire to go and take that banana, what was he thinking? Hey, let me ask you a question. Have you ever looked at someone and asked, what is he thinking? Or what is she thinking? Has anyone ever said to you, what were you thinking, right? Usually when we make some dumbheaded decisions, someone asks us, what were you thinking? Or when you see your, your, your kid or your grandkid or a friend make a really boneheaded decision, you might ask the question, what were you thinking? Now, in all seriousness, this is where it gets a, a little bit challenging. Because some of us ask that question of people that we love quite often. What are they thinking? For some of us, it's as parents or grandparents. That we see our children that we raised in the church, right? Came up in the faith and then they get out on their own. They get to college, they graduate college, they start a family. And they're not faithful to the Lord. And you're asking, what are they thinking? Now, I raised them better. I had them in church and, and, and now they're, they're not walking with Jesus. What are they thinking? Maybe it's someone else. It's a, it's a, it's a coworker that you work with, that, that, that you care about. And over the last year or so, you've been inviting them to come to church and maybe you've even uh, worked up the courage to share the gospel with that person. And you share with them and it's like you're talking to a brick wall. And you're thinking, what are they thinking? It couldn't be any more clear that Jesus loves them and gave his life for them, and yet they won't respond. What are they thinking? I think this passage we're looking at this morning is going to help you and help me when we ask the question, what are they thinking? Because every one of us in this room, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can think of somebody in your life now who's not following Jesus. Maybe it's that child. Maybe it's that grandchild. Maybe it's that, that coworker. Maybe it's that, uh, that, 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 that student that goes to your school. I have no idea. But you're, you have that person that you know that's not following Jesus. And, and you know they know the, the, the truth. You know they know something about Jesus. You know they know that Jesus loves them. And you're asking, what are they thinking? Why won't they follow Jesus? 
In this passage we're looking at this morning, Jesus is going to tell a story, a parable. Now, we've already seen in Luke's gospel a couple of parables, really small parables, but but this really is, if you will, the introduction uh, to many parables that Jesus is going to tell in Luke's gospel. And this is a, a great story. And what I love about this story is that it is to the point. I mean, you can read it and you can get the point of it. I mean, the reality is uh, you, you probably don't need me this morning explaining this story to you. I'm glad you're here and I'm looking forward to explaining it, but you can figure this one out on your own. I mean, it, it, it's, not, it's not very difficult to understand. It is straightforward. And, and what Jesus is going to show us this morning is that, that when you think about people, people that you know and love, there is a heart condition within them. And that heart condition within them, right, really has a lot to do with how that person responds to the truth of Jesus Christ. In fact, when we look at this story this morning, Jesus is going to share with us four different types of heart conditions that people tend to have. And what happens within those hearts when the gospel, when the good news of Jesus is shared with them. So here's the reality. When we think about this story this morning, one, this story that we're looking at, that when Jesus tells this parable, it it is the kind of parable that should cause us to be self-reflective. What's going on in our hearts? And it's the kind of story that also should help us to understand what's happening in the lives of others' hearts when we have the opportunity to point them to truth. I think this is going to be helpful for us. And so take your Bibles, look at Luke chapter 8 with me, and go ahead and rise to your feet as we honor the ring of God's Word. I'm going to read down uh, to verse 10, and then as we work through uh, the message this morning, we'll look at these other verses as we go along. Look at Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, and listen to what the Bible says. After he was traveling from one town and village to another, preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God, the 12 were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sickness. Mary called Magdalene, seven demons had come out of her. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod, Stewart, Susanna, and many others who were supporting them from their possessions. And as a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from every town, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some seed fell among the path it was trampled on, and the birds of the sky devoured it. Other seed fell on the rock, and when it grew up, it withered away, since it lacked moisture. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns grew up with it and choked it. Still other seed fell on good ground. When it grew up, it produced fruit. A hundred times what was sown. And he said this, he called out, Let anyone who has ears uh, to hear listen. Then his disciples asked him, what does this parable mean? And so Jesus said, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know. But to the rest it is in parables so that looking they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this morning and thank you for time that we have together to be in your word, to listen uh, to your word proclaimed. Father, we trust that in these moments that you are speaking to us. And so as you speak to us this morning, help us to listen with, with uh, hearts and ears that want to receive your word. Father, we, we all uh, encounter people on a regular basis who have different responses to who you are. Father, I pray that this passage this morning would help us to understand why people respond the way they do and what we should do in light of that, how we should be a people who are faithful to you, regardless of the responses we receive when we share your truth. And so, Father, we're trusting now that, that as you speak to us, your spirit is going to be at work in our hearts. Help us this morning to want to obey your word and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. 
Now, I don't know if you remember, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been in Luke's gospel because last week my dear friend Don was here preaching for us, uh, our missionary friend who ministers in Japan. But if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we looked at this story about this woman who anoints the feet of Jesus and, and, and wipes his feet with her hair and her tears. And then you come down in chapter eight and, and, and these first three verses are pretty interesting to me. Now, we don't have a lot of time to, to get into these verses, uh, but what Luke does is he begins to tell us about some women. The 12 were following Jesus, uh, his, his, his disciples. There were others who followed. But, but Luke is, 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 is careful to point out to us some names of some women. Luke likes to do this. I don't know if you know this or not. I don't know if you've ever picked up on this when you've read through Luke's gospel. But Luke likes to identify different women who followed Jesus. Luke likes to tell us that these women were significant in the ministry of Jesus. And, and what I find significant about these women uh, that you read about here in these few verses, and again, we don't have time to really dive into all these names and, and who exactly they were. But, but some of these women you read about, they were there. They were there when Jesus was crucified. They were there on the day that Jesus rose from the dead among the first to see the, the risen Lord. I mean, they were there until the end. And I think that's kind of the point, that Luke just wants us to know the names of these women who were there, who endured, who were faithful. And that's gonna make some sense. As you look at the story that follows, Jesus is going to talk about a, a, a certain kind of condition of the heart. A condition that, that is open and receptive to the work of Jesus. These women had those kinds of hearts. Now, Luke's going to tell us a story, a story that Jesus told. So you can imagine he's in the area of Galilee and, 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 and the crowds have gathered. And here's what's so, so significant. You know who Jesus was. Jesus was the son of God, fully man fully God. Jesus looks out on the crowd and, 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 and I, can't, I can't comprehend this because I'm not Jesus, but Jesus was Jesus. Jesus looks out on the crowd and you know what he knows about the people who are sitting there ready to hear him teach? Everything. He knows every heart that's gathered in that place. We don't know how many were there. Maybe it was hundreds, maybe it was thousands, but regardless of the number of people who were there to hear Jesus teach, he knows every single one of them. And he also knows, now watch this, he knows how each one of them is going to respond to him. Because here's reality. When you get over to John's gospel and, and Jesus is ministering and teaching, Jesus is going to say some things that the people have a hard time understanding. And in John chapter six, as a result of some of the things that Jesus will say, many people will do what church? Walk away from him. Jesus knows this. Jesus knows that when he preaches his good news of the kingdom of God, that not everyone is going to respond favorably. When Jesus looks out on the crowd, he knows the condition of every heart before him and he knows how everyone will respond to him. And Jesus knows you too. He knows your heart. He knows how he's at work in your heart. He knows how you this morning will respond to him. Jesus knows. And Jesus knowing how everyone will respond, he tells a story. Now, this is a familiar story and we're gonna talk about it in just a moment. But he tells a story about a farmer who cast a seed and the seed falls on different ground. Now, after he tells the story, the disciples are a bit confused. The 12, I mean, they don't understand. Why are you telling these stories, Jesus? I mean, it's, it's a great story. I mean, 
I liked it, and they, they, they had some funny moments in it. I mean, it was engaging, but why did you tell this story? That's where we pick up in the passage of Scripture. Come down and look at what it says in verse 9. His disciples asked him, what does this parable mean? So he said, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know, but the rest it is in parables, so that looking they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Jesus knows what, church? He knows every heart that's before him. And he knows that, that, that when he gives the good news of the kingdom, not every heart is going to respond favorably. The disciples, they will. And so he says, when I teach in these parables, you're going to understand. God is opening your eyes and you're going to have the spiritual insight to understand the meaning behind these stories but not everyone will. And what Jesus does is he quotes from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. After Isaiah was, was called to ministry by God himself, God told Isaiah, hey, go and preach, but not everyone is going to respond favorably. And that certainly was the case. If you were to read Isaiah's story, you would find out very quickly that not everyone responded favorably. In fact, very few responded favorably to Isaiah's message. Now, Jesus is saying something similar. I am going to teach and not everyone's gonna get what I'm saying and not everyone is going to respond favorably. That's the, that's the point. So what these parables are then is these parables, they are earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. But not everyone is going to get the heavenly meaning. But what is Jesus going to do? Regardless of the fact that not everyone is going to get the heavenly meaning, Jesus is going to do what, church? He's going to keep on teaching. Knowing that not everyone is going to respond favorably, favorably to his message, what is Jesus going to do, church? He's going to keep on preaching the good news. Do you follow? Jesus knows it. Jesus knows that not everyone will respond favorably to him, but regardless of that, he is still going to preach the good news of the kingdom. Is everybody with me? You still awake? So, so, so I, I told, told you this uh, several weeks ago, I was in Walmart and I, I found these kayaks on sale, right? These, these two inflatable kayaks, I was able to get them for a really good price. And, and so they've been sitting in my garage just waiting for the day that we would take them out. And yesterday was the day. Yesterday afternoon, I, I took my boys out. We went down to Tugadoo Boat Landing. I don't know if that's how you say it or not, but that's where we went because I'd gone there before. And when I went there several weeks ago or several months ago to Tugadoo Boat Landing, I caught some big redfish. I caught some, some trout. I mean, it was great. So I wanted to go back and try it with the boys. And so we went, you can see. I mean, they were so excited. In fact, Friday evening, we got the kayaks out and we pumped them up in the living room just to make sure they worked and, and all that kind of stuff. We got there and it took us about 15 minutes to, to pump them up at the boat landing. We, we, we got them in the water and we set off and man, it was fun. It was, it was kind of an overcast day and so it was a bit windy. So we fought some current along the way, but still we had a great time uh, in the boat. So, so Luke got his fishing rod out and he, he was fishing. Now he didn't catch a thing. We tried, but he didn't catch a thing. And so, so he was there and, and we backed up the boat against the shore just a bit. And what Luke um, didn't realize when he backed up the boat against the shore, he had backed up against an oyster bed. And when he went to move the boat, he didn't think about actually lifting it up to get it out. He, he just kind of, and when he did, that, that, that kayak that I bought, um, it popped. So yeah, I mean, it, it, thankfully there's several chambers and so we were able to float it back home. But that kayak I paid 70 bucks for, it got one outing before it popped, right? And, and, and we were floating back and man, he was, he was so discouraged because man, we, we had pumped these things up. We had been waiting weeks to get them out. And now he's, he's, he's kayaking around in a deflated kayak, right? And I can patch it up, we can fix it. But he was kayaking around, he was discouraged. He was ready to get out of the water. And, and, and so we had been waiting for days and weeks to go out on 
on the water to, to have these kayaks, to catch some fish and just have a good time. And when we got out of the water, it was just this discouragement because we had waited weeks for this and it didn't go exactly as planned. So we, we spent some time fishing on the bank. We still didn't catch anything. Uh, then we, uh, we deflated all the kayaks and we folded them back up. We put them in the car and we, we drove home. And on the way home, you know what the boys said? Dad, can we do it again? Dad, can we go back? Can we fix the kayak and go? We had a terrible experience, right? It popped on him. He's, he's wondering, he was worried he was gonna sink to the bottom of the, the, the water. I mean, all those kinds of things. But when we got in the car, can we go back? Why? Because regardless of how that experience went, what do my sons know? That in that water, there's some fish. And if we keep going back, deflated kayak or not, eventually we're gonna catch some fish. That's a fact, right? Now think about that. That's the way it works in what, church? In us sharing the truth. You know this. Jesus knows this. Jesus knows that, that his message is not going to be received by everyone. But Jesus also knows what? There's some fish to catch. And you know this too. You know that when you open your mouth and share the good news of Jesus, when you talk with your uh, friend, when you talk with your child, when you talk with your grandchild about Jesus Christ, you know that they may not respond well, but you also know you got some fishing to do. You know there are people who will respond to the truth. And because you know that, what do you do? You keep on going. You keep on doing what God has called you to do. Now, here's what's so interesting about this parable. Jesus doesn't do this with all the parables, but he does it with this one. He tells the story and then he explains it. And so let's spend some time, uh, let's spend the next 20 or uh, 25 minutes or so just walking through how Jesus explains this parable. You ready? Look at what it says. Because they ask him, right, what does this mean? And so Jesus tells them. Again, he's gonna tell more parables in the chapters ahead, but he's not gonna give an explanation like he does with this one. This is where this one or why this one is so straightforward for us and easy to understand. Listen to what it says. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. The seed along the path are those who have heard and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. Now let's stop right there. Again, you've probably heard this story before. And so as I explain this, this is gonna sound familiar to you. But just think about what's going on, right? Jesus is describing the scene of a farmer in Galilee. And I'm not a farmer. I mean, I've planted a couple of gardens. Maybe you have too. But, but what would have been practiced in those days is what was called what? You know, broadcast sowing. And the farmer, he had plowed his field up and all those kinds of things, but he would just walk through the field throwing out seed. And so inevitably, the seed would fall in various places. That farmer who had plowed that field over and over again undoubtedly had a path that he walked through. That over the years, there was some ground that had been beaten down uh, by him as he walked that path day in and day out, week after week and month after month and year after year. And as he threw out that seed, that seed that fell on that path, which had been well-worn by his feet and maybe the feet of his family and his servants, it become hardened over time. And the farmer knew this because he was a good farmer that when that seed fell on that path, it wasn't gonna take root because that hardened ground, it wasn't gonna penetrate that ground. And what was going to happen? The birds of the air were gonna come down and sweep it up and they were gonna feast on that seed. And Jesus says, this is how it happens, right? When the good news of the kingdom is shared, there are some hearts, remember conditions of the heart, there are some hearts that are like that hardened path. That the seed goes forth. And you know what the seed is. The seed, Jesus tells us, is the word of God. 
The sower is Jesus, or you think about us, the sower is us. When we take part in the mission of God, when we share that good news, sometimes it will fall on hardened hearts. People who just will not respond favorably to the good news of Jesus. And what Jesus says here in this parable is that the enemy, Satan, he comes very quickly and he snatches that seed away. That there is a real spiritual warfare taking place for the hearts of people. But just know this. And you know, I don't have to tell you this. This is, this is so, so intuitive to us. We understand this. That there will always be people who do not respond to the good news of, gospel, of the gospel. Not everyone, unfortunately, will be saved. Right? And so when Jesus talks about these four conditions of the heart, just understand this one. A, heart, a hard heart that never responds. That's one of the conditions of the heart that I want you to see this morning. A hard heart that never responds. The question becomes, what characterizes a hardened heart? Why do some people have such hard hearts? Why is it that when, when you talk to your, your grandchildren, they, they just seem to refuse to listen to that gospel message? Why is it when you share the gospel with that, with that coworker that they just seem to refuse to listen to what you're saying? Well, a few reasons, really. One, some people are just uninterested in the gospel. You understand this. They just don't see any relevance for it for their lives. They don't see how it applies to them. They don't see why they need it. They just don't want to hear about it. Or think about this. There are some people who intellectually reject the gospel. They say things like this, and you've come across people like this. I just can't believe that because it's not scientific enough. Or you can't prove the historicity of it to me. I just can't get my mind around a God who creates everything out of nothing. That's not Possible, And so they intellectually reject the gospel without ever actually intellectually what? Studying the good news of Jesus Christ and actually studying the history and all those kinds of things. Or think about this. Some people's hearts are hard. Now I say this is the primary reason because they just live in unrepentant sin. If you think about it, that's what it boils down to. That the reason why some people over and over and over reject the gospel it's because of their sin, unrepentant sin, not willing to deal with it, not willing to look inside themselves and confess that they've got a problem and they need a savior. And so you and I, you know this, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. We're gonna come across people on a regular basis whose hearts are hard, who are gonna reject the gospel. And, and, and the sad reality is there might be some of us sitting in this room this morning whose hearts are hard. You're here because somebody brought you here. You're here because you think you're supposed to be here. I don't know why you're here, right? But you've never really looked inside yourself and seen your sin. You've never been willing to confess your sin and turn from it. And you've rejected, you've heard the good news. Maybe you've heard it from me week in and week out, but you refuse to do anything with it. You refuse to embrace Jesus as your savior. It may be this morning that you're in this room and your heart is hard. But Jesus doesn't only talk about hard hearts. This is where it gets interesting. He talks about hard hearts, but he also talks about shallow hearts, shallow hearts that never endure. Look at what the passage says. So he talks about the hard hearts and he comes down and you, you look at what it says in verse 13. And the seed on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. But having no root, these believe for a while and fall away in a time of testing. Now, come on. 
Every one of us, we, we, we're, we're, we're quick to identify what a hard heart looks like. You know what a hard heart looks like. But have you ever thought about what a shallow heart looks like? Because I would say to you that, that what Jesus talks about in this verse and the next verse, these really are conditions of the heart that typify lots of people who, who gather in our churches week in and week out. You follow me? A shallow heart. A shallow heart is someone who had a response to the good news, but that response wasn't as much based on truth as it was based on what? Emotion, feeling. And this is where we have to be careful because you've seen it happen over and over again. As someone who's been a pastor for a number of years, I've seen it happen over and over again uh, that, 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 that someone is moved in a worship experience. They hear a, mess, a, past, a pastor like me preach a message and it, and it moves, and that's not a bad thing. But they respond based on the feeling they have more than the truth that's been explained, right? They, they get those holy goosebumps or have that, that feeling like, man, this is really good. And, and, and this happens a lot of times where church it happens at things like youth camps. And some of you understand that. It happens sometimes with our children, right? Where, where there's this emotional pull. Hey, listen, listen, I need you to stand up and raise your hand or bow your head and close your eye and raise your hand. And there's this real emotional pull and people respond to that emotional pull, but they don't understand what they're responding to. And sometimes what happens is someone makes a profession of faith, not knowing the faith that they're professing. And then what happens? When life gets tough, there's no root, there's no real foundation because we as a church maybe did not give them a foundation. We emotionally pulled them. You follow me? We said, hey, raise your hand, stand up, come down front, profess faith. But we didn't actually explain to them what it means profess faith. And so when tough times come, what happens? That person falls away from the faith because they didn't understand faith because our faith was based not on the truth as much as it was based on emotion. And now come on, here we are in this room, some of us here every Sunday, and for some of us, our faith is still based on emotion. For some of us, come on, now just be honest with me. We're in a service like this and we're evaluating, but we're evaluating not based on what the scripture is actually saying, we're evaluating based on how this service makes you feel. And some of us will walk out of here this morning saying something like this. Well, you know, I, I really didn't feel the spirit move this morning. Or I didn't feel this and I didn't feel that. And can, can, I, can I just tell you something? And I, and I mean this with as much love as possible. It really doesn't matter what you feel. It doesn't matter what I feel. What matter is what Jesus says. And here's what happens, right? That, that, that some will walk out of a room like this doubting the essence of our faith because we didn't feel a certain way. Your faith has never been, nor will it ever be based on a way that you feel. Your faith is solely based on what Christ has done for you through his death and resurrection and you embracing that truth. That's what your faith is based on, not a feeling. But, but what Jesus is telling us is beware. There is certainly such a thing as, as a shallow heart a heart that, that, that responds emotionally, even with joy, 
But when tough times come, do not endure because what? That truth was not implanted deep within. Oh, my friend, this is a challenge for us because this makes it even more important for us that as we disciple people, whether it's, you know, uh, uh, us in this room or our children over in the children's facility or our students, that we are doing the best job possible to implant real truth in the lives and hearts of people, that we're challenging people to know the faith. And so I just want to ask you a few questions because I, I think, you know, if you're one who finds yourself with a shallow heart, I'd want to ask you these questions. Do you actually know what you believe? You follow? You might say, well, I profess Christ and, you know, all those kinds of things. But, but someone who has genuine faith in Christ, who is growing in Christ, actually knows what they believe. You can articulate the gospel. You know that Christ was perfect. He was the son of God. He lived and died and rose again for you. You know what you believe about scripture. You know what you believe about the return of Christ. Someone who is, is walking in faith actually knows what they believe. And the sad reality is this morning, I can probably sit down with a number of people within our church and ask people in our church to explain the gospel to me, the very basics of our faith. And you would be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised because I just know this is reality. You you would be surprised at the number of people who cannot articulate the very basics of the faith. And that's a shame. Because if we've been saved by Jesus, we should actually know what Jesus has done for us. Do you follow me? So do you know what you believe? Think about this. Is your faith driven by feeling or longing to know Christ? We already talked about this, right? That there's this temptation for us to walk out a place like this and saying, I didn't feel this or I felt that. that that's not what it's about. It's about knowing Christ or thinking about this. Are you devoted to serving Jesus and his church or are you devoted to religious experiences? Again, for some of us, the church exists to give us some kind of experience that helps us to emotionally deal with life. But that's not what the church is about. The church is about the mission of God and you being on board with that mission, serving him. Do you see what I'm saying? That Jesus is just telling us, beware. Because these are the kinds of responses that, will, be, that will, will come from the proclamation of the gospel. These are the kind of heart conditions that we'll run into. Hardened hearts, shallow hearts, or think about this one. There's a third one. Go to the next slide if you don't mind. Divided hearts that never surrender. Now come on down. Look at what he says. And again, I think this verse, it really speaks to, to where we are in the American church and in our culture. Look at what it says in verse 14. As for the seed that fell among thorns, these are the ones who, when they have heard, go on their way and are choked with the worries, riches, and pleasures of life and produce no mature fruit. So you understand a shallow heart, that, that emotional response to the gospel but at the end, there, there's no root, no foundation, so that faith does not endure. But then Jesus talks about this, this kind of divided heart. Now, here's how I would describe this. Someone who has a divided heart may say, may say, things, may say something like this. Jesus is a part of my life. Maybe even a big part of my life. Jesus is a part of my life, but watch this. While Jesus is a part of my life, now you wouldn't say this, but this is the reality. While Jesus is a part of my life, he is not my life. You see what I'm saying? For those of us who are walking by faith, Jesus is not a part of our lives. 
Jesus is our lives. We say like the apostle Paul did in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, to live is what, church? Christ. And to die is gain. That's the cry of our hearts as followers of Jesus. Jesus isn't a part of our lives. He is our lives. He defines life for us. He is the essence of who we are. Do you see what I'm saying? But a divided heart says, wait, wait, Jesus is a part of my life, but so are other things. And so what happens with this kind of heart is, is that you're more consumed with other things than you are Jesus. And you see what happens, right? Jesus talks about the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the pleasures of life. This is what it looks like practically. Everyone, and come on now, I know this about you. I think every one of us in this room would say, yes, I want to follow Jesus and I want to follow Jesus well. I think every one of you in this room would say, yes, I need to be discipled. I think every one of you in this room would say, I need to be a part of a community of believers, a small group that's helping me grow my faith. Every one of us would say, I I need biblical instruction and counsel. Every one of us would say, I need to live on this mission. I think you would all say that. But come on now, some of us would say this too. I know I need to be discipled, but right now I just don't have time for that. I don't have margin in my schedule to add anything else because after all, I, I've got work and I've, I've got to you know, get my kids to ball practice and we, we do travel ball over here and we do this over there. And, and I, that church thing is really good. I know I need to be a part of it, but I got all these other what's. I got all these other cares that I've got to take care of, right? I've got all these other things that are pulling on my time and, and pressing me. And I, I, I don't have time right now. I don't have time right now to dedicate like I'd like to, to Christ and his church. I mean, I want to, it sounds good preacher, but, but I'm just being honest with you. I've got all these other cares of the world that are pulling at my heart. And, and we don't want to talk about this, I understand. But, but then, I mean, I, I've got to work some more hours at work because I got to make some more money because I, I really want to buy that boat, right? Because I don't want my kayak to keep deflating. You understand? I mean, there's these things I I got. And so what happens, right? Is you get consumed. You get consumed by the pleasures of this life, the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches. Your heart's divided. And you know, you know what you need. These thorns, these thorns are choking out that good seed. Do you see what I'm saying? Not allowing that seed to take root in you because you're allowing the thorns to take over. It's a divided heart. Jesus says, be be very cognizant of this. The gospel is going to go forward. The good news is going to be shared. But there are different conditions of the heart. The hard heart, the shallow heart, that divided heart. But then I love this. Jesus talks about that good heart. Listen, a faithful heart that always produces. That's that fourth condition. Now, Now, come on, let's be honest. I hope and I pray that this is where most of us find ourselves, that good heart where, where the gospel has taken root and it's producing. You see what I'm saying? Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you don't struggle. Don't, doesn't mean, right, that, that you're not a work in progress because we all are. But, but for, for, for us who are followers of Jesus, who've embraced Christ and Christ alone for our salvation, who are allowing the spirit of God to work in us week after week and year after year, we're seeing God do something in our lives. And and for those of us who are followers of Jesus, who've allowed the gospel to penetrate down deep within us, we're producing fruit. We're seeing evidence of our salvation week after, and sometimes it's slow growth. Most of the time it's slow growth. I get all that. 
but you're enduring. You're keeping on. Even when life gets tough, you keep on enduring. You keep on pressing on. You keep on walking by faith because you know that Jesus is the answer. And that's what Jesus is getting to here. Here's what it looks like. Here, here's, here's what it looks like to have a, a heart that's loyal to me, right? It's faithful. In season and out of season, it's faithful. When life gets tough, it's faithful. Look at what he says again. You come down and look at what he says. But the seed in the good ground, these are the ones who having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it and by enduring produce fruit. I wanna show you a picture. I think it was earlier in the present to go back a couple slides, that picture right there. I don't know if you know where this is. That's Don and Teresa. They were here with us last Sunday. That's me, you probably knew that, and that's my wife. You know who that is too. But here we are. We're standing. We went last Monday, and I took them downtown uh, for a bit to show them downtown. And we went to First Baptist Charleston. That's right there in First Baptist Charleston. Uh, I don't know what you know about First Baptist Charleston. It's a great church. I love the pastor there. He's doing a great work. He's been there for a long time. But it's a very historic church. First Baptist Charleston uh, was the, the, uh, the first Baptist church in the South, period. Like it goes back to the 1600s. Isn't that wild? Uh, and this, where we're staying, is its second worship center, built in 1822. Isn't that wild? So this is a very historic building. Um, lots of things happen in the course of its history. We were there last Monday with, with Marshall Blaylock, and he's the pastor there. And he was telling us the story of how this church, in the spot where we were standing back in 1848, commissioned a family. A family that went out, this was right after the, 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 the Southern Baptist organization started. It started in Augusta, Georgia, my hometown, but it's right after it started. And, and so these were the very first missionaries ever sent out to China from the Baptist denomination. A wild story. Anyway, as the story goes, they, they were commissioned right here, prayed over and sent out. And back in the day where you didn't go on an airplane, you got in a boat and they went over there and, and, and they were there for a while. And this missionary, his wife, ended up dying on the field. And so, so after that, they, kept on, they came back for a while, went back again. And then one of his daughters got sick. And, 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 and he thought that she was going to die. And he didn't want his daughter to die like his wife had died. So they got back on a boat and they came back to the States again. And this time he stayed because he couldn't bear the thought of losing his daughter in China. And so they came back here and settled back in Charleston and continued. But, but, but back in 1848, when they were staying here being commissioned, they had a little girl, three years old, named Lula. They took Lula with them, obviously, on the field and back and forth. And, and Lula watched her mother die as a young child. And Lula uh, also um, later on came back when they thought her sister was going to die. At 26 years old, 26 years old, after seeing the hardships that her family went on, Lula went back to China by herself as a young woman. She actually predates Lottie Moon. Some of you know that name, Lottie Moon, who we you know, have that annual offering for. She went back to China by herself and spent 40 years in China, watch this, rescuing young women from sex trafficking and saw a number of those young women come to faith in Jesus Christ. And when she was an old lady, she came back to the States and died here in the States. But you come down to this passage where Jesus talks about good soil, a faith that endures. That's what he's talking about, right? 
That, that, that I don't know, I didn't know Lula, I just heard her story Monday. But obviously God is something in her life where the good news of Christ took root in her in such a way that it caused her to endure. She experienced hardships and suffering just like you and I do. But even with that hardship and suffering, continue to be faithful to the mission that God had placed before her. You see what I'm saying? This is what Jesus is talking about. That, that, that in this life, as we are about gospel work, there are gonna be all kinds of responses. But that right response is that response that embraces Jesus for who he is and, and allows the spirit to work inside of you. And then you endure through every season of life. I'm not saying you're perfect, that you don't struggle, we do. But, but we hold on to our faith because we know that Jesus is worth holding on to. Now we don't have a lot of time, but Jesus is gonna tell another story right after this one about a light. He says, I'm telling you this story, right? It's like a light, a lamp. You don't hide a lamp under a basket. You let it shine. Jesus is saying, let this truth shine. Let your light shine. Shine this message of hope. And then uh, this is interesting how the passage ends. Now come down, we, we're out of time, but look at what it says. You come down to verse 19 and it says this, then his mother and brothers came to him, but they could not meet with him because of the crowd. He was told your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. But Jesus replied "Then my mother and my brothers are those who hear and do the word of God. Jesus says, Here, here's my family. My family are people who embrace me who do what I say, who listen to my word. And it's not that shallow heart kind of stuff. It's not that divided heart. No, it's that embracing me for who I am and enduring with me. You think about these women that we read about in chapter eight, verses one through three. This is who he's talking about, I think, in verse 15. These are the very kind of people that are gonna stay with Jesus until the end. You see what I'm saying? This is what faith is. It's holding on to Christ in every season of life. It's not perfection. You'll never obtain perfection in this life, but it is desperately holding on to our Lord. Do you follow? And so just a couple things and we're done. One, go back to that last slide if you don't mind. One, that last slide if you don't mind. It's okay. Be honest about the condition of your own heart. Come on, church. We're out of time, but just listen carefully. Your own heart. What's going on inside of you? Maybe you're here this morning and you realize your heart's been hardened, shallow, divided. Here's what I know about hearts and here's what I know about God. Whatever your heart condition might be this morning, God can change it. God can change it. And I don't care if this is the millionth time you've heard the good news. Today, Respond to the good news in faith. Saying, Jesus, because of what you've done for me, because you went to a cross and died the death I deserve and rose again from the dead, paying the punishment or paying the penalty for my, my sins so my sins can be forgiven and I can be given the gift of life today. I am embracing you by faith. I'm gonna hold on to you, cling to you in every season of life. And maybe this morning for the first time, follower Jesus, or for the first time, a you who are sitting in this room this morning who are not followers of Jesus, excuse me, come, embrace the Messiah. And for the rest of us, we're not there yet. But we're gonna get to Luke chapter nine. And in Luke chapter nine, you know what Jesus is gonna do? He's gonna send out his disciples on mission. He's telling them this parable because they're about to live it. They're about to go out on mission. You know what you're about to do? You're about to, to, to pray with me in a moment. We're gonna say, amen, you're gonna lead this place. You're gonna go out on mission this week. You are. 
And I don't know what you're going to experience. And I don't know what you're going to encounter. But the challenge to us as followers of Jesus is that wherever you find yourselves, be ready to share the gospel because that's why Jesus has left you on this earth and be ready to experience all kinds of different responses because that's the reality. But in the midst of those responses, remember what? There are some fish out there that are worth catching. And so you keep on going. You keep on doing what God has called you to do. This is a powerful story. It reminds us that Jesus really does want to work in our hearts to cultivate our hearts in such a way that we respond to him by faith. And so as we end our time together this morning, maybe you're in this room, you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, come down front. I would love to talk to you this morning and help you begin a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus. And, and this message this morning is just a reminder to you to keep on being about the However God leads you this morning, let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for time and your word. Thank you for the goodness of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, for that person in this room who's never placed his faith or her faith in Jesus Christ, I pray that person will come now trusting you as Lord. And for those of us who are followers of you, Father, this, this passage really does help us to understand people and, and how people respond to you. And this passage also helps us to understand that regardless of the way that people respond, there's a mission that we must be a part of, enduring in our faith, living out the mission of Jesus Christ. And so Father, help us be faithful to that mission because we know it. There are thousands of people, thousands and thousands of people in this community that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. We wanna do whatever it takes to shine the light of Christ. Father, use us. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So time of invitation together. You come now as the Spirit of God leads you.